before we dismiss. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3 this evening, all right? Galatians chapter 3 is where we'll be. Galatians chapter 3 and getting back into this book of the Bible this evening. And as you're turning there, again, I want to remind you to try your best to keep the bird's eye view, overall view of this book in mind every time you come to it. I believe in doing that, it helps in uh, aiding us in understanding that particular book we're studying, reading through, whatever it may be, understand it a little bit better, okay? Especially get the overall theme in mind. So keep in mind the bird's eye view, if you will, of this book. Paul is addressing the churches that were in the region of Galatia. And remember, multiple churches here, multiple Christians, but he's addressing these churches for this reason. The main purpose is this reason. Uh, false teachers called Judaizers have begun to creep into this area and into these churches and teach a false gospel. Uh, they've begun to creep in and teach a false gospel of adding works to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, these Judaizers were adding rituals and rules to the gospel, according to them. According to the Judaizers, if you didn't follow the rituals and rules, then you truly couldn't be truly saved. So in teaching a false gospel... That's not of faith, but is by works. These false teachers were perverting the pure gospel of Christ, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 7. And what they were doing with that is in turn causing great chaos in the hearts and minds of God's people. So with all that going on and all that taking place, the apostle Paul picks up his pen lovingly, passionately and very sternly declares and defends the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what's going on, all right? Paul is defending the gospel. He is proving the gospel. He's proving salvation is by faith, all right? It is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where we'll pick up our reading here in Galatians chapter 3. And uh, right before we read this, understand as we come to Galatians 3 and really chapter, into chapter 4, we'll find some of the strongest writing of Paul to these Galatian believers. We will find and see that he's using some very pointed language, all right? And though Paul is being very strong and stern in his writing and speech to these believers, understand, though, he's not being mean. He's not being demeaning. He's not being hostile or rude. He's not being uh, callous or malicious, he's not being just, he's not being nasty, okay? But he is, he is being very bold, very straightforward, because what they were doing was very dangerous, okay? But Paul's not being mean. After all, it's Paul who loves them dearly. He loves them very much, wants nothing but the best for, for them, and it should be evident as, as he uh, really, um, when he came to this area of, of, of this region, he hazarded his life for, for these people. And so when you hazard your life for someone, that should show you their love and care for them. They should know this. They should know as he's about to pick up his pen and write some very strong wording to them. It should, they should know that this truth is in love and not out of hate. But in this letter, especially in these chapters, chapter 3 and 4, in these in this chapters, it is some strong speech. But understand, Paul is in a battle. The gospel is at stake and souls of people were in the balance and the flock of God was being preyed upon Paul as at war, okay? So that's why he says the things that he says. After all, if Paul's opponents are going to, to use every possible means to try to capture the hearts and minds of these believers, then Paul could not fight half-heartedly. He was going to step into this ring and bring the heat, okay? So he's going to have to be strong and bold 
in his speech to prove time and time again to these believers again the main purpose of the overall uh, theme of this book that salvation again is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So he uses some very pointed and strong wording. So let's look at it uh, this, this, uh, this evening. In Galatians 3, we'll read verses 1 through 5, okay? Galatians 3, verse 1 through 5. The Bible says this. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before his eyes, Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Receive the Spirit by the works of a law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish? Have begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he, doeth he by it the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Father, again, I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds to the precious word of God. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Continue to help us to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Help me, I pray, to feed the flock of God. Because I know without you I can do nothing. So we pray you'd help us tonight and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this evening and really the next several Wednesdays, we'll look at some proofs, if you will, proofs that salvation is by grace through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And really there's some arguments that he brings and some interrogation, if you will, that Paul begins to do, especially to these believers at this moment, all right? So the first argument that Paul brings to light is this one. Number one, he brings a personal argument, okay, a personal argument. Uh, here in verses 1 through 5, he is acting upon or reaching out and pointing out really the fact of their personal experience, okay? As he's asking these questions about their personal experience, interrogating them about their personal experience with the Lord and with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And in his personal experience, as he begins to interrogate them, he wants to know something. He wants to know this. Number one, in their personal experience in this, in their salvation. Their personal experience in their salvation. Look at verse 2 again. It says this. This only would I learn of you. He's talking to, to the Galatian believers now. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, this question should be an easy rhetorical question for these believers and really for anyone. Because anyone who is truly born again has an accurate biblical knowledge of salvation uh, we should say, 100% say, we have received the Spirit of God by faith and not by the works of the law. Again, here's what the Bible says about that, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But at this moment, this was the great divide, if you will. This was the major issue with the Galatian believers. These Galatians were facing uh, these Judaizers who have infiltrated the Galatian church's teaching contrary to the gospel message of Paul. So Paul asked them personally, does salvation come by law or by faith? Uh, from what we do or what Christ has done? Does salvation come from trying our best or from trusting Jesus? Does salvation come from behaving correctly or believing on Christ? He's asking them a question, where does it come from? How did you get saved? That's what he's asking. How did you get saved? How did you receive the Spirit? And no doubt as Paul is asking this question in verse number 2, received you the Spirit by the works of a law or by hearing of faith, no doubt 
And the Galatians' minds, their minds went back to when Paul came to them the first time on Paul's first missionary journey. You can find that in Acts chapter 14 if you want to put that in the margin of your Bible. But he came the first time in Acts chapter 14 on his first missionary journey to this region. And in their mind, they thought of Paul and how and what he preached to them. But was the message that Paul preached to these individuals on that first missionary journey, was, it this, was the message this, to be good and keep the Ten Commandments? Was the message to, that he told them, was the message to take a vow of Judaism and to be circumcised? Did he tell them to keep the Sabbath? Did he tell them to become proselytes of the Jewish religion and join the local synagogue? Is this what Paul preached and taught to them? Is this what they heard from the very voice of the apostle Paul? Is this how they received the regenerating Holy Spirit of God? Absolutely not. This is not what they heard from Paul. Here's what they heard from Paul. Look at verse number 1. Verse number 1 in Galatians 3. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Christ and him crucified. This is what Paul preached and taught to them. It's interesting. The phrase that he used here, evidently set forth in verse number one. It's interesting what this word really, really is. is trying to portray and trying to paint. It's from a Greek word that means to publicly portray or publicly announce on a poster. It kind of gives the idea of an important information that has been plastered all over the billboards around town in a public fashion. Why? For everyone to see the absolute truth of this message. It also kind of gives the idea of just how vivid, how vivid a picture Paul painted of the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He painted it so vivid and so real that as he preached that Christ crucified for them, it would seem as if these individuals were at the foot of the cross themselves. That's how powerful he preached the cross. That's how powerful the preaching of the cross really is. It was such a vivid picture that they themselves, they heard Paul preach. They pictured themselves at the foot of the cross, seeing his nail-pierced hands, seeing his piercing his side, seeing his blood coming down from his body. It was so vivid in their mind, so evidently set forth in their mind in plain, perfect, truthful detail. No doubt he didn't hold back any gruesome, any gruesome nature and detail by which Jesus died or the glorious, victorious resurrection by which Jesus rose. He gave it all. He painted it clearly. He painted it very vivid. It's clearly, evidently set forth. They knew the truth. But in this moment, in this moment, Paul was asking them a question of their personal experience of salvation. Galatian believers... How did you get saved? How did you receive the Spirit? Was it by faith? Was it by believing the message of Jesus, His death for you, His burial for you, His resurrection for you? Or did you receive the Spirit? Did you get saved by doing this or doing that, by keeping this rule, keeping that rule? How did you get saved? He's asking these questions again in order to stir up their conscience, to get them to think, how did you get truly saved? Saved by believing the gospel of Jesus Christ or by doing and trusting in some good work? That's the question he asked for them. You know, it caused them to stop and pause and think exactly what they believe and exactly where their faith lies. 
And really, as we read it this evening, it should cause us to stop and pause and think as well of where our faith lies, of what we're truly trusting in for salvation, or who, rather, we're truly trusting in for salvation. So who is it, church, by way of application this evening? Don't answer out loud, but who or what are you trusting for your soul salvation? This is a question Paul asked this dear church. It's a question we need to ask ourselves as well. And only you can answer honestly to yourself before you and God. Who are you trusting? Or what are you trusting? All right. So he's asking their personal experience, number one, or their salvation. And then he asked their personal experience on this, of their sanctification. Now, understand something real quick before we dive into this. Understand salvation is different from sanctification. You see, salvation is an instantaneous event. Salvation takes immediate, it's, it takes place the very moment a sinner repents and believes the good news of the gospel, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with mouth confession is made unto salvation. I am thankful that whosoever shall call upon them, O Lord, shall be saved. It happens at the very moment, the instant that someone trusts Christ. Salvation is immediate, but sanctification. Sanctification is a process that begins at salvation and is not completed until glorification. So sanctification... Is not done till we get to heaven. But what is sanctification? All right. In a nutshell, here's a quick definition of sanctification. All right. Sanctification is that process where God makes you more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really what sanctification is and the purpose of it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So understand, it's God's will, it's his purpose for you and I to be conformed, as believers, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. He wants you and I to look more like Christ every single day. And that's through the process of sanctification, all right, to be more like Jesus. And to accomplish this, to be uh, more like Christ, accomplish sanctification in our lives, the Lord uses many things. Primarily, though, listen, primarily uses the Word of God. He uses the Bible as we're in it, as we read it, as we study it, listen, as we obey it, okay? That's how we really become more sanctified, set apart unto the Lord. But he can use other things too, trials, difficulties, but he uses these different things, and many more, of course. But he uses everything, really can. Nothing's wasted with the Lord. He can use everything. But he uses that to knock off the rough edges, get some of the junk out of our lives that need to be there. Things that don't look like Jesus, he wants those out to make us more like Christ. So when you think of sanctification, all right, it's not, it's not this. It's not, it's not, are you perfect? But rather, sanctification is more like this. Are you progressing? Are you progressing? Because we all have the next step to take. Next spiritual step to take. Some folks that might be, you need to get saved. Some folks that might be, you need to be baptized. Some folks that might be, get rid of this, get rid of that, start this, start that. Whatever it may be, all right? But there's next spiritual step that we need to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. And by the way, this progress 
takes place until the day we close our eyes and death here and open them up and they're in heaven. All right. But these Galatian believers, they were no different. So look at verse number three. Paul says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He's saying, since we have ruled that uh, you have been saved by faith, by grace through faith, does that mean now you're made perfect or complete or mature by the flesh? Does that mean you become complete and more like Jesus in your own intellect, in your own power, in your own workings, in your own efforts, in your own self, in your own put in the blank, right? Does that mean that's, that's where you get more complete and more mature in the Lord? Absolutely not. Again, this will be a rhetorical question that would demand an emphatic no, sir. We're not made perfect, not made complete by our own old sinful flesh, by, by our own old works. That's not how it works. But we're made rather more complete by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust and obedience to his word. In my study, I came across this analogy. I really liked it, all right? I want to share it with you. But it comes from John Phillips, all right? But he gave this analogy about this verse here. He says this, quote, Does a butterfly, having emerged from its cocoon, having now transformed, regenerated, metamorphosed, <laughs> metamorphosed, <laughs> he's an intelligent fellow. He puts some hard words in some of his books, all right? But anyway, <laughs> metamorphosed into new life with his gorgeous wings, does it now continue as a caterpillar? Does it say to itself, well, I've been born again. I must do my best to be a butterfly now. I will crawl up this stem and gnaw on these leaves. Is this what a new butterfly does? Of course not. It spreads its wings. It catches the rising air currents. It soars from field to field, seeking this nectar of the flowers. Why? Because this, this, this butterfly now has new life. And this new life of the butterfly cannot be lived on the principles of the old life as a caterpillar. I really like that. And the same goes for us. The same goes for us. As born-again believers, we have new life in Christ. And this new life we obtain by faith, trusting Jesus as our Savior. Therefore, this new life we live, we live it the same way, by trusting Jesus Christ day by day. And we do this, again, by obeying the word of God. Here's what James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25 says. But be you doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So as believers, we progress in our sanctification, mature as believers, as we are doers of the word and not hearers only as we obey the word of God. And by the way, we obey the word of God by faith, believing Jesus the whole way, trusting Christ. It's all by faith. That's what Paul is getting at. It's all by faith in Christ, every bit of it, from your salvation to your sanctification and even to this. He points out another, another personal experience of theirs, and he says this in verse number four. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? So number three, he asks their personal experience about their suffering. Now, as you read in the book of Acts, especially in chapter 14, we know that Paul... 
We know that Paul suffered severely for the cause of Christ, especially in this area of Galatia from Acts chapter 14. You'll see in this area, uh, the Jews became very bitter enemies against Paul. They hated what Paul was doing. They hated the message he was preaching. They hated the message of Christ. And so they stirred up the Gentiles in that region, in that city, against him. And as you read it, you'll see really what they did is they caused riots in many different cities in which Paul was preaching the gospel. But they caused many riots. And in an effort, they did this in an effort to put Paul out of town. In one instance, one instance, they even had folks so riled up that they stoned Paul and left him for dead. The Bible says this in Acts 14, verses 19 through 20. And there came, there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up, came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. We understand that Paul suffered greatly, and although, listen, although the Bible doesn't, doesn't record for us any specific um, detailed suffering, especially of the Galatian believers here. We can imagine, though, all right? Use your sanctified imagination with me, if you will. We can imagine this infant church, these baby believers, faced some great persecution as Paul planted this church, started this church, taught the people, preached to them, and then repeated this same pattern in another city. So after he started this church and went to another city, we can imagine we can imagine the persecution that this, these churches in Galatia would have suffered. We can imagine that. And we kind of get the idea, again, as he writes this in verse number four, have ye suffered, meaning you have. You have suffered some things. But have you suffered so many things in vain or for nothing? Is it empty, this empty suffering? Why did you do it? Why, why, did, you, why did you suffer? He was saying, were you suffering the persecution from these people because you were following the law or following the Lord? Was it because you were following the commandments or was it because you were following Christ? Why were you suffering this persecution? Now, again, the answer uh, to this question that they suffered was because they were following Christ and not the law. And, and it could be, it could be because a strong persecution is the reason, one, maybe one of the reasons, while Paul was so quick in the very beginning of this epistle to the Galatians, very quick to point out that they were shying away from the gospel when he says this. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, I read it to you. It says, Paul speaking, I marvel that you are so soon, so soon, so quickly, this, is, this happened so fast, so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So it could be these Galatian believers are about to, I don't know, jump ship and get over to the Judaizers' side. Why? Just to escape, possibly just to escape the persecution they were facing from these Jewish individuals. It could be. It could be. But if they did that, it would all be in vain. They would gain nothing from this gain nothing from this. I want to encourage you this evening, don't let the experience of suffering draw you away from Christ. Don't let it draw you away. Paul said he would rather glory in his infirmities. You know why? Because all those things brought him closer to Jesus. All those things would draw him closer to Christ. That's why. He said, I will glory in that. 
because it brought him closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't let the experience of suffering draw you away from the Lord Jesus. Let it encourage your faith in Christ. Let it deepen your trust in the Lord and allow them to draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's calling upon their personal experience. He said, how'd you get saved? By law, by grace, through faith. How how do you how are you being sanctified? Is it because of the, you're keeping all the law, or is it because you're trusting Christ day by day? Well, why were you suffering? Was it because was it because you were you were you were following the law, or was it is it because you're you're following the Lord? Why are you suffering? He's bringing into questioning their personal experience, and then he brings in this one. All right, lastly, he brings in this. He questions the signs, the personal experience with signs. Read, look at verse number. Uh, read with me, verse number five. All right. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now understand at this very moment in church history here, first century church history here when Paul had planted these churches in Galatia and as Paul was writing this letter to the Galatians, this time frame, understand, was still during what we would call the transitional age that the book of Acts covers, okay? And during this transitional age, the apostles, the apostles had a supernatural ability to heal, cast out devils, do many different miracles. They had the ability to perform different types of signs, all right? And be reminded, these signs were for the Jews. 1 Corinthians 1, 22, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. And yet, ironically, the Jews got multiple signs, even as Jesus walked and did many miracles before the, before the Pharisees and other Jews, before their very eyes. And even these apostles did many signs before their very eyes. And yet these same signs, as for these Jews, these same Jews would, would either completely reject the signs or at least look over them. All right, But that's where they were there, for, for the Jews. But in this, understand, in this time in history, the sign gifts at this very moment, were still in play. And Paul worked miracles. He did. He worked miracles among the Galatian believers. And one of the most notable of those miracles you'll find again in Acts chapter 14, when he came to the area of Galatia, especially in the city of Lystra. And it, it, was, this, it was this one. Acts chapter 14, I'll read it to you. Acts 14, verses 8 through 10. You can mark that in the margin of your Bible beside verse number 5 if you like. And that could be a reference for you to look back at a miracle that Paul did in the presence of the Galatian believers. Okay, Acts 14. The Bible says this in verse number 8 and ver through verse 10. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb, who never had walked. So here you have a man who couldn't walk, never had walked, and he couldn't. The same heard Paul speak who steadfastly beholding him, perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. Now would you say that would be a mighty miracle? What would you say? Someone who's never walked, nor could he. But Paul simply says, Stand up and walk. The dude stands up, begins to leap and walk. Not just walk, jumping up and down. I mean, that's a mighty miracle. If you've never walked, you know what that means? You don't have muscles in your legs to hold your body upright. You can't do it let alone jump, okay? Now, I've got a vertical that'll blow your mind. It's about four inches, all right? But uh, anyway, but you know I can jump so high? Because <laughs> I have muscles in my legs. Hold me up, I can jump. This man, he had no muscles. He couldn't do that. 
So for him to, his body to miraculously develop that, that, the muscles that he needed to be able to walk and to jump was a miracle. And it happened in the presence and at the hand and voice, really, the presence of Paul. So Paul's asking, how did these miracles come about? How did all this happen? Now, suppose this lame man here, after hearing Paul speak, Suppose this lame man, we don't know his name, but suppose he said, Paul, you're a man of God, and uh, I appreciate what you're doing, and I, I perceive that you know God. But let me ask you a question, Paul. What must I do to be able to walk on my own two feet? What do I need to do? Paul, tell me, what must I do? And then suppose Paul, he replied like this, well, my friend, here's what you need to do. You need to do this in order to be healed and to be able to walk. You need to keep the Ten Commandments. Therefore, you need to avoid idolatry. Oh, and don't lie. Oh, and uh, don't covet. Oh, and keep the Sabbath. And you probably need to go and get circumcised. Basically, my friend, what I'm telling you is this. To be able to be healed, you need to keep the law. All 613 of them. And then you can do it. (laughs) Well... Would he be healed by doing all that, yes or no? Absolutely not. Thank you. All right. Absolutely not. He would not be healed. He would not see a miracle by by doing any of that. The only thing that would heal this man was a miracle from God. It had to come from the Spirit of God. Only God could heal this man. And listen, as as you see in Acts chapter 14, he did. A mighty miracle took place at this area of Galatia and specifically in Iconium here. Or, no, I'm sorry, Lystra here. That's where it specifically took place. And by the way, how did it happen? I hope you didn't miss this one word. I want you to catch it. I'm going to read this event again for you in Acts 14, 8 through 10. But how did this happen in this man's life? Let me read it again. And I sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent on his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, perceiving, who was steadfast beholding him? All right. Paul was watching him. He was watching. And perceiving, Paul perceived. Paul perceived. Perceiving that he, who's he, that's the lame man, had faith to be healed. Said the loud voice, stand up right on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. Look, Paul was simply trying to prove his point. In this moment, he's writing to the Galatian believers that all their experiences that they've had, including this sign, including this miracle, was really by faith. Every bit of it was by faith. Their salvation experience was by faith. Their sanctification process, by faith. The suffering they've endured, listen, they're doing it by faith. The signs that they've seen by the mighty hands of the apostles, they're seeing it and experiencing it all by what? Really, by faith. Trusting Jesus Christ all the way. It's not by works. As these Judaizers are trying to put upon them, it's not this new gospel these Judaizers are trying to preach to them. No, it's the true gospel Not a new gospel, a true gospel of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for them. They must be saved, again, by grace through faith. And so as Paul is proving this, man, he's really getting down to them. He is questioning question after question after question. He is is interrogating them. He is being a gospel detective, if you will, spiritual detective, all right? And when you're being interrogated, who here loves being questioned about everything you do or say? Who loves being questioned all the time? Anybody love it? You say, I'm married. Of course I love it. No, I'm just kidding. 
But who loves it? Nobody loves that. Nobody loves that. That's what he's doing here. And it might be a little dagger to the heart of the Galatians. Why? For them to see the error of their way and to prove, look, this is my faith in Christ. It's not many works that you do or I do. It's all about Jesus Christ, trusting him the whole way. And everything we do, and really everything we say. He's just trying to defend the gospel and lift, lift up Christ and point people to Jesus Christ. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he's trying to do. So the first argument he gives is this one. It's a personal argument. And next time we'll see this argument that he gives, a scriptural argument. And really, this is a more, um, this is a, a better argument, if, if, if I can say that way. Because why? Well, scripture is more concrete. It's more trustworthy than any experience we'd ever have. Because listen, our emotions go up and down the road, cultures do they not? But the word of God is always true. It's always straight. It's always there. It's concrete. You can trust 